Hello, Internet! Welcome to Film Theory, the show that'll be theorizing day after day after day after day after day, and we don't know why. Let's talk about the amazing digital circus, shall we? You, my friend, stumbled into an incredible world of wonders where anything can happen, except for swearing. Oh my god. In case you aren't caught up with this one, this is the latest series from the creative geniuses over at Glitch Productions. This one was written, produced, and directed by Gooseworks, a talented artist who also composed music for both Has Been Hotel and Hell of a Boss. And their creativity and experience really come through with this one. Between the amazing animation, gifable moments, and incredible cast of characters, and a storyline wrapped up in like 18 different layers of mystery, this is the perfect show for us to dive into. Which means that if you haven't watched the first full episode yet, go do it. Watch it after this theory. Though I'd be surprised if you hadn't, because this thing already has like 30 million views across the platform. It is doing mighty well for itself. But just so we're all on the same page for today's theories, the pilot follows a woman named Pomni, who's thrust into a strange digital world styled after a circus, alongside five other humans. Jax, the lovable jerk, Ragatha, the sweet optimist, Gangle, who can't hide her emotions, Zubal, who's made out of a bunch of random objects, and Kinger, who's been trapped there the longest and has gone kinda crazy as a result. The whole circus is run by a ringleader named Kane, who according to the show's website is a quote, wacky AI, and all of the humans are just subject to his every women desire. Gadzooks, you're right, Jax! We should have a brand new adventure for our new member, Pomni! I said that like five minutes ago. However, the humans don't necessarily want to go on these adventures, and they're constantly trying to find ways of getting out. This has even driven some of them insane, leaving them abstracted, where they devolve into monsters. Case in point, the clown Kofmo was obsessed with finding the exit, and abstracts just before Pomni shows up. Oh! Kofmo's been obstructed. It's okay. What is that? And yet, even when Pomni does get herself to the exit in this pilot episode, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just endless hallways and office spaces repeating. It is basically the back rooms. As it turns out, Kane made this fake exit, hoping to give the humans what they wanted. He just didn't know what to put on the other side. I do have to apologize for lying about the exit. I was having so much trouble figuring out what to put on the other side and ended up never quite finishing it. And more or less, that's where we leave the colorful cast of the Amazing Digital Circus after this first episode. Now already there's just so much world building here for us to dig into. So many questions posed that we want the answers to. Like, who's behind the Amazing Digital Circus? Is there an actual way out or are they just trapped forever? Are characters like Kofmo really gone or can they be brought back in some way? And uh, sorry to say, I don't have a whole lot of answers for those things. Not yet. For as much as Glitch and Gooseworks packed into the first episode, they've done the wise thing and not given us a whole lot of answers. But I do think they've given us plenty here to theorize about. So, here are three amazing digital circus theories. Don't run for the exit doors yet, my friends. We're going in. Let's start things off a bit small scale here. Theory number one, everything in the show is literally a video game set in the late 1990s. Now, there's a lot in just this one episode that paints this as a video game world. For example, right at the beginning, we see a pixelated title card for the show that's obviously in the style of old school PC, PlayStation, and N64 games. This is further driven home in a secret video that you can find if you go to Wacky watch.com, a URL shown on screen during the episode, which shows us the main menu for this game. We also see a flower pot fall to the ground and clip into it, kind of like an old school source engine glitch. Kane mentions that he created the digital world in the weird backrooms office area in a way that's very similar to how a game developer would create world spaces. Plus, when Pomni first enters the world, she says this. I put on some 
weird headset, and now I'm here. Again, directly implying that the whole thing is a game. She put on a VR headset and was transported into the world of the digital circus. All of that checks out and should be pretty darn obvious to the casual viewer. But what you might have missed is the fact that this is set in the late 1990s, and not the present day, like you might expect from something talking about using VR headsets. And there is a lot of circumstantial evidence that points us to this conclusion. First of all, basically all the tech that we see throughout the series seems to be pulling straight from the 90s. Anytime we see a computer in the show, it's always the white boxy styled CRT monitors and large white computer towers reminiscent of models made by companies like Dell and Gateway back in the 90s and early 2000s. And this is both in the actual episode and in the off-site material as well. In that same Wacky Watch commercial, we see a real-life computer with the same old-school design. What's more, the beginning of this Wacky Watch video says that this was an old tape recovered on a date that's censored. And given the degradation on that tape, it implies that not only is this video old, but it was also recovered in the past as well. But this goes beyond just the tech that's used in the series. Many of the characters and iconography from the show are very reminiscent of popular characters and ideas from the late 90s and early 2000s. Homni's gesture design takes a lot of cues from Sega's old Knights in the Dream series. Jax shares design inspiration and a similar name with Max, the rabbit, from the Sam and Max games. Bubble clearly takes cues from Super Mario's Chain Chomps. Jax and Gangle were both inspired by characters like Poppy the Performer, an old Japanese 3D animated series, while Kane and the Digital Circus setup is very reminiscent of the villain and plot of I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, a short story by Harlan Ellison adapted into a point-and-click adventure game in 1995. Any way you slice it, it's very clear that the creators want the show to have the same 90s vibe that we're all so nostalgic for right now. But you might be thinking, hold on, they're talking about VR headsets here, that's a modern thing, right? Wouldn't this thing just be inspired by the 1990s rather than set in the 1990s? And that's a pretty good call-out. A lot of advances in virtual reality technology have only been made across the last decade, especially when you're talking about gaming. But that doesn't mean that VR technology didn't exist back in the 1990s. And I'm not just talking about the rudimentary black and red wireframes of the Virtual Boy either. Back in 1991, Sega announced the Sega VR. In 1993, Virtuality created the Mega Visor display. And in 1995, Fort Technology hit us with the VFX1 headset, just to name a few. And looking into old footage of all these things, it doesn't look too dissimilar to the sort of world that we see in the amazing digital circus. Simple flat textures, rudimentary shapes and polygons. There's not a lot of detail here, but that's for good reason. These headsets, they couldn't handle a lot of detail. True story, I actually have some first-hand experience with these rudimentary headsets. The Great Lakes Science Center in Cleveland, Ohio actually had a special exhibit on VR technology in its basement when I was a kid, and it blew my mind. With the amount of wires and cables these things took to run, it felt like you were jacking into the Matrix, and you had to wait 45 minutes to put on one of these headsets, but all of a sudden, you were dropped into a video game. It was simple, I was walking through a purple field with a bunch of green triangular mountains in the background, but it was effective, and it captured my imagination for decades since. So much so that even though it was a five-minute experience that happened in my life like two decades ago, I still remember it vividly to this very day. Anyway, MatPat childhood stories aside, the long and short of all of this, everything that we see in the series is pointing to this taking place in the past and not... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
in the present. All of this has already happened from our perspective, we're just watching the events of the game unfold. So now that we know that we're in a 1990s video game here, let's dig a bit deeper, shall we? Theory number two, Pomni helped create this hell simulation that they're currently stuck in. It's a pretty bold claim, so what would make me say that? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, one of the scenes that really jumped out to me while I was watching and re-watching the pilot was the sequence where Pomni's running through the back rooms on the other side of the exit door. At one point, she enters a more traditional looking office space with computers and cubicles before stopping and staring at one desk in particular. This is played as a big moment. We linger on this shot for a long time as a classic horror-esque dolly zoom hits both the desk and Pomni before she has herself a psychological break. The lights start to flicker and she cackles uncomfortably before running on. The whole thing is really menacing and off-putting and clearly meant to leave us with a big impression. Why? Well, because this desk isn't just some simulation that Kane cooked up in the back rooms. It's based on a real place in the real world of this universe outside of the simulation. A place that we actually see in the episode. At the very end, right before the credits roll, we zoom out of the circus and through the void, revealing that all of this has been taking place inside of a computer. That makes sense. We've already established that this right here is a big ol' simulation. But take a look at the computer and the desk. It's the exact same setup that we saw earlier in the episode in the backroom section. The same old equipment on the left, the same file cabinets on the right, the same retro monitor and keyboard and computer tower and speakers, the same VR headset and headphones. This is exactly the same, but clearly this one's in the real world. Not only have we literally zoomed out of the computer, implying that we're no longer in said simulation, but the lighting in the scene is much more natural. It's warmer. Sunlight is streaming through the nearby window, all at an angle because the sun's lower in the sky. This is not the flat computer simulation lighting that we've been seeing throughout the rest of the episode. That right there, the desk and computer setup existing both in the simulation and in the real world, is already a pretty interesting point, but why then would it break Pomni? What causes her to go off the deep end and start laughing? Well, I think that subconsciously, Pomni recognizes that this, this is her desk. At the beginning of the episode, they make it clear that Pomni has lost her human memories, but this, I believe, is triggering a deep realization inside of her. Based on what we're given here, I believe that Pomni's human persona is an employee at CNA, the company developing the digital circus game and VR headset, and seeing it here inside the game unlocks some weird flash of her memory as to what's happening to get her into the situation. She's trapped in the very game that she helped to create. It's ironic, hence why she laughs. It's funny. It's darkly funny. I can see this being a huge reveal down the line, and one that could be potentially devastating for all the rest of our characters. For Pomni, obviously, but also for all the other characters who are trapped in here who would be seeing her as the one to blame for their current imprisonment. Also, real quick super short micro theory, I don't think we have enough information to figure out what the initials in the company named C and A stand for, but one possibility that did jump out to me, it could potentially stand for Kane and Abel, partially named after the AI ringleader of the simulation Kane, which could then lead itself to a lot of interesting story possibilities. You see, Kane and Abel are a pair of brothers who are the sons of Adam and Eve, with Kane ultimately killing his brother and creating the first ever murder in the world. Anyway, you know how we love our a good biblical reference here, and I just wanted to mention it in case we get more clues in future episodes. But something we do have more than enough to say about, theory number three, all the characters aren't actually humans trapped inside the digital circus. Instead, they're all digital copies of the brains of humans who've put on these headsets, cloned and then forced into the simulation. Now this is a pretty big swing. I mean, Pomni's first line of the series is practically, oh no, I'm a human who put on a headset and now I'm trapped here. And then Kane follows it up with this. My my! It appears a new human has entered this realm! Human. He calls her a human. And that actually lines up with what we've seen with the official synopsis, explicitly calling Pomni and the others humans, in contrast to Kane being an AI. Quote from that synopsis, A woman gets trapped in a crazy virtual world along with five other humans and are now subject to the whims of wacky AI and their own personal traumas. Plus, I just personally like the image of a bunch of people strapped into these VR headsets a la Sword Art Online. But all of that being said, I believe that there's a lot of 
of evidence pointing towards these characters being computerized clones rather than actual humans. For instance, as I mentioned above, Pomni starts going a bit crazy when she sees her desk from the real world in the circus's back rooms. But think, what was actually on that desk? A headset. Pretty clearly a headset that is not on any human's head. And that's not just a thing in the simulation, it's also on the desk in the real world too that we see in the final shot of the pilot. If there's a human trapped in the digital circus here with a headset firmly planted on their head that they can't get off, shouldn't they, you know, be stuck there with the headset on their head? Given the little that we have to go off of right now, it makes more sense that Pomni put on the headset, had her consciousness copied into the game, and then she just took off the headset to go home. Meanwhile, Pomni in the game can't take it off because she's not a flesh and blood human anymore. She's a digital copy whose memories begin the moment the headset was put on. And even if we're wrong and this desk isn't Pomni's, all the other characters went through this exact same process when they first joined, as Jax hinted at when he sarcastically said, How do I take this headset off? Just keep grabbing at it. That worked for all of us. They all tried the exact same thing, and it didn't work for any of them. They're all digital copies grasping at a VR headset that isn't there anymore. But you know the thing that really convinced me of this theory? The mannequins. Yeah, did you notice these guys? All throughout the episode, we see several artist mannequins populating the circus. You know, these are the things that artists will sometimes buy to help them get references for poses. Most prominently, we see them in the restaurant with Kane and Bubble acting as background characters. But why would they matter? Well, we know that Kane can create NPCs. Kane, is this one of your NPCs? PCs, or is this a new sucker? So maybe these mannequins are just random, nameless characters that Kane made up to fill in the circus. Maybe, but that just doesn't sit right with me. First off, the dolls are clearly capable of emotions. We see one get upset when Pomni interrupts it taking a bath, silently screaming at Pomni until she slams the door. There's something more going on here than just these things being background extras. Take a look at this. When Ragatha is showing Pomni to her room, there are several other doors for other characters in the background. This is actually a great piece of world building. We see that each of the current characters have themselves their own rooms, as well as several other characters that we haven't met yet. There's this colorful one that I can't quite make out, what looks to be a pinkish purple goo monster, some sort of cute doggo, green and orange anteater looking guy, a black queen chess piece that I'm gonna guess is named Queenie, seems to be Kinger's counterpart, implying that he didn't come into the simulation alone. Regardless, all of these portraits have giant red X's over them, and that checks out. These are likely characters that have abstracted in the past, just like Kofmo did. We even see other abstracted creatures in the cellar when Kane banishes Kofmo. Anyway, along with these past and current characters, we also see several doors with blank mannequins on them. Not just one, but multiple doors. If I had to guess what's going on here, when a new human enters the game, these rooms transform into one that's appropriate for them, and the mannequin on the door transforms into their character. And what's more, I believe that there's a mannequin in the game that also transforms into that character. Right now, they're placeholders, but they get molded into these human copies whenever someone new puts on the headset, and their brain gets scanned into the system. That would fit thematically with the idea of the mannequins to begin with. They're supposed to be used as references and then turned into something real when you're using them for your artwork. That would also fit with the fact that they're on the doors of all these empty rooms, and the characters being scanned clones of human brains would fit the fact that they can't take off their headsets despite us seeing a headset not being worn at a desk that is clearly meant to be Pomni's. It just all fits with what we've seen from the series so far. In short, the series is gaslighting us. It isn't about a bunch of humans trapped in a simulation, it's about a bunch of human consciousnesses that have been scanned into an AI system and then mapped onto blank mannequin bodies, where the computer can then simulate their human behavior and push their buttons to the breaking point, learning the weaknesses of the human psyche. And then, when they've had too much and abstract out of the system, well then you just boot up another new simulation and try again. There is no exit door, just an endless loop of torturous tests run by Kane as he tries to understand the human experience. Just like a real circus, all of it is just a big performance. But hey, 
today. It's all just a theory. A film theory. And cut.